world's second largest economy is losing steam. With its recovery in peril, will the spillover hit the U.S.? A new trade trend, Mexico now beating out China as the top exporter to the U.S. We look at the dynamics. Fentanyl, now a hot topic on the senator floor. A bill could slap sanctions on China over the drug's production, and it's already boasting bipartisan support. And one of Taiwan's top presidential candidates, planning a stop in the U.S. on his way to Paraguay. The transit plan announces the U.S. climate envoy spends four days in Beijing. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We're more than halfway into 2023, and China's economic recovery is losing steam. The latest data from the National Bureau of Statistics appears grim. The nation's GDP grew just 0.8 percent from April to June. That's compared to over 2 percent in the first quarter. How China deals with this slowdown is a concern for global investors and policymakers. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen explained China is a very substantial importer from many countries around the world. So when Chinese growth slows, it impacts growth elsewhere. I know there's talks about potentially the government in, in Beijing to uh, really have a, a fiscal stimulus uh, package potentially proposed here in the next uh, number of weeks. And if it's in that sort of a dire condition, I do think there are some potential negative spillover effects for not only the United States, but the rest of the industrialized world. China's economy is facing a number of challenges. Consumers are less willing to spend money. And retail sales dipped in June. Also, private businesses make up the backbone of China's economy. But they are hesitant to make new investments. Private businesses are also holding back on new hires. Yet they're the biggest source of employment in the nation. In China, youth unemployment is hitting another record high. For 19 to 24-year-olds, the unemployment rate is over 20 percent. And that figure could jump higher as college students graduate and enter the labor market. On top of all this, China's property market is bogged down with its own problems. Investment in this sector plunged almost 8 percent in the first half of 2023. Demand is also weak and sales are down. To boost the economy, China's central bank has cut some key interest rates, but analysts say the measures aren't enough. A new trend in bilateral trade. For the first time in 15 years, Mexico is beating out China as the top exporter to the U.S. That's for the first half of 2023. Data from the U.S. Commerce Department shows American imports from China are down 25 percent. Imports plunged in a number of sectors, especially semiconductors. Meanwhile, U.S. imports from Mexico and Canada are taking first and second place. Southeast Asian countries are also sending more to the U.S. China became the biggest exporter to America in 2009. It has since remained at the top, though the export volume took a dip after former President Trump slapped tariffs on China. President Biden has kept the tariffs in place. The recent breach of White House emails through Microsoft, spotlighting how China's hacker armies are getting more sophisticated. Instead of the crude smash-and-grab methods used years ago, they're now focused on stealth. NTD's Faye Quarter has the details. China's hackers are becoming more and more sophisticated in their attacks on the U.S. Before, hacks from China would immediately raise loud alarms. Everyone could easily see the hack, as well as the fact China did it. 
and Americans would then know how to guard against future hacks. The methods were quite crude. But now, China's hacks are stealthy. Hackers hide deep inside computer networks for months or even years, quietly monitoring what's going on and gathering data. One method they use is they avoid hacking the main computers. Instead, they hack peripheral devices, such as printers, routers, or the Internet of Things devices. This could include smart TVs. The malware would be actually loaded into the operating system uh, of, a, of a device. And then the device is activated on the network and then can spread to other devices. Uh, and this is typically how these, these uh, hacks are happening uh, today. Rex Lee is a security advisor at MySmart Privacy. He says that because everything is connected to a network these days, hacking into one item can connect you to every item. The recent attack on Microsoft email accounts, including those of high-profile officials like Gina Raimondo, may have used this method. Experts say it may be the stealthiest attack ever discovered. These attacks worry Americans because they could compromise valuable information. The biggest thing would be critical infrastructure, going after the power grid. All you have to do is take the power grid out and people are pretty much defenseless. Lee has little confidence America can protect itself well. He says that the government's cyber infrastructure is extremely outdated and many organizations don't have the highest encryption standards because those standards may be too expensive. Faye Quarter, NTD News. News from Washington, D.C. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wants to sanction China over fentanyl, a drug that's taken the lives of tens of thousands of Americans. He says drug production sites in China have the total acceptance and acquiescence of the Chinese regime. To fight it, Republican Senator Tim Scott and Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown introduced a new bill. If passed, it would require President Biden to sanction key international criminals and use the money to fund law enforcement. Now, Schumer is also pitching in, pushing the bipartisan measure to amend an upcoming defense bill. It's time for this to stop. He told a news conference that he hopes it will pass and believes it will with strong bipartisan support. Schumer says the amendment would authorize the White House to declare fentanyl trafficking a national emergency. The bill will be brought to the floor this week, and it's expected to pass with strong bipartisan support. A two-day summit in Brussels, reuniting the EU and Latin America. Leaders from the two sides gathered Monday after an eight-year break. Latin America, the Caribbean, and Europe need each other more than ever before. The long separation compounded by the COVID-19 pandemic and Brazil's departure from a regional organization of Latin American and Caribbean states. Despite the meeting's success, the nations have a lot to talk about. Uncertainty and division are swirling around issues like Russia's war in Ukraine, trade and deforestation. And this happens against the backdrop of China's growing assertiveness abroad. China has steadily been pushing for more trade in Latin America and expanding its influence there, something the EU has emphasized keeping an eye on. In talks with Brazil's president, von der Leyen stressed how important it was to de-risk their economies. The term has become EU code speak for distancing from Beijing while trying to avoid angering Chinese authorities. At the same time, trade is roaring between the EU and Latin America. 
the latest data showing a nearly 40 percent rise in the last 10 years, now totaling $414 billion. Investment is growing, too, with the EU injecting 45 percent more money into the bloc in the same time frame, a whopping $777 billion. It's a strong framework as leaders in the nation face another hurdle. The EU already has trade agreements with more than two dozen Latin American and Caribbean nations. But it also has an unsigned trade agreement with Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay and Uruguay. The deal has remained in limbo for five years without being ratified. An update from the International Monetary Fund. The agency is hinting that it might let countries use the Chinese yuan to repay their debts. That says the IMF confirmed that Argentina paid up the equivalent of 1.1 billion U.S. dollars owed using Chinese currency. The payment is part of a 44 billion U.S. dollar loan deal. At the same time, Argentina's foreign currency reserves fell sharply after a drought cut grain exports, which are paid for in U.S. dollars. Plus, its peso has weakened under 109% annual inflation. What could that mean for the U.S. dollar? NTD's Kevin Hogan speaks to James Gorey, the author of The China Crisis, for a breakdown. James, what are the risks of allowing countries to repay their debt in U.N., given that China has been called a currency manipulator? Well, the risk is that the dollar is, is uh, no longer the, the sole reserve currency of the world. It's, it's a, certainly a, a blow to its, its standing, its prestige, uh, and, and sends the message that the, uh, the yuan is, a, is an alternative currency. So how significant is this step forward for the Chinese yuan as a global alternative currency? I think it's huge. Um, bear in mind that the BRICS currency is, is going to be announced next month. Um, that may well be a, a gold-backed currency. And BRICS, of course, China's a part of that. So there is a definite move and effort uh, between China uh, Russia and many other countries to uh, dethrone and de-dollarize the dollar, the economy. So what should Americans know right now in light of this? Well, they should know that, that when China is making the effort, and other nations are, to dethrone the dollar and de-dollarize the international trade system, uh, it's not just the currency, but it's the actual trade system itself. I mean, China wants to replace the entire financial system with a more China-centric one, not uh, simply replacing the dollar and keeping the same system that the dollar and the U.S. was, 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 was about. So I look, I look at the, the international system as being very, very threatened, and China wants to replace it. There's no way they want to keep a, you know, re, re, replace the dollar with the yuan in the current dollar-denominated system. That, that doesn't bode well for them. James Gorey, the author of The China Crisis, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. The Biden administration's climate envoy John Kerry arrived in Beijing Sunday. Discussions are centered on renewing commitments from the U.S. and China to reduce methane emissions. An expert weighs in on the visit. I do think we should cut the ties to China for anything climate change um, and as well as for uh, 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 furthering the communist agenda here in the United States of America. Meanwhile, one of Taiwan's top presidential candidates for the island's upcoming race has an announcement. He plans to stop by the United States during his trip to South America. The statement angered Beijing. Lai Qingde is also the chairman of Taiwan's ruling party, as well as the island's current vice president. Another Taiwan official commented on Lai's U.S. travel plan, calling it usual. China's foreign ministry filed a diplomatic complaint with Washington. 
Beijing protests any official interaction between the U.S. and Taiwan. Washington has expressed the transit won't count as an official visit. It's a solemn time for adherents of Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa. Over two decades ago, the practice came under massive persecution in China, all for exercising the right to follow three tenets, truthfulness, compassion and forbearance. NDD's Kevin Hogan found out how some Falun Gong practitioners in New York spent their Saturday. I'm here in Lower Manhattan in Chinatown, where hundreds of Falun Gong practitioners are out here on this hot summer day to bring awareness to the brutal persecution this group faces in China. We spoke to some onlookers, and although this repression has been going on for nearly 24 years, they didn't know and became aware about it because these people are exercising their right to free speech. Other bystanders said the parade is bittersweet. The niceness and the beauty of the cultural elements featured in this parade alongside the gruesome facts of detainment, torture, and killing of Falun Gong practitioners because of their faith. A Falun Gong practitioner we spoke to said her mother was very sick, but then after taking up the practice in 1996 in China, she became well, and that's when her whole family started to practice. But then, on July 20th, 1999, the ruling Chinese Communist regime launched its persecution against the group. So when I was only nine years old, I still remember uh, several policemen broke into my home in China. Uh, they took my parents away in front of my grandparents who were in their 70s and 80s and uh, took my parents away when I was only nine years old in front of me. I was uh, crying so hard and then they took my parents away and sent them uh, into labor camp and they were there for more than one year. I'm so sorry that happened to you and your parents and how were you able to stay strong after that time? Um, it was very difficult uh, because all the media and everyone, everybody around you, um, you know, they, they will believe in the government. You know, even if you try to tell them about your personal experience, some of them will believe, but some of them wouldn't believe you. So you do feel kind of isolated in an environment like that. The parade showcases rich Chinese culture from the lion dance, look at them go to the influences of Buddhism, as seen in the Lotus Float. And of course, the Waste Drummers, or Yaogu in Chinese. A drummer shares with us her experience with the practice. Before I practiced Falun Gong, I had hypothyroidism. I had to be on medication all my life. After practicing Falun Gong for 24 years, I have never taken a single pill. I'm 70 years old. I'm very healthy. Falun Dafa has made my life better. I'm full of hope for my life. I'm grateful to Mr. Li Hongzhi for bringing light and hope to the world. After the persecution of Falun Gong in 1999, we decided to use this traditional Chinese style of drum dance as a means to better spread the truth about the persecution to the Chinese people. The practitioners are calling for an end to the persecution, which includes the state-sanctioned harvesting of organs from practitioners against their will at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. And as you see here, according to the Tuidang Center, many Chinese people have quit the Communist Party and its two affiliated youth groups. About 415 million 
whom the Global Service Center calls the hope of China. Banners read, eliminate the CCP, save America. These practitioners are calling on Americans to visit nccp.com and sign the petition. But today, here's what's coming up next. An eyebrow-raising travel advisory coming from the U.S. State Department. It's warning Americans to think twice about traveling to China due to the risk of wrongful detention. Over in Europe, one Romanian teacher shares a harrowing experience that now serves as a cautionary tale. NTD's British thought leaders host Lee Hall sat down with Marius Balo, who was wrongly imprisoned in China for eight years. What did Balo witness in China's infamous forced labor system? And how did he survive something he says would destroy many? And they say that, you know, you did this and you did that, and that's automatically accepted. But the really, the really terrible thing is they use your family against you. Find out after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A tale of resilience. Romanian teacher Marius Balo was arbitrarily imprisoned in China for eight years. After his release last year, Marius walked nearly 2,000 miles past Romania's communist-era labor camps and prisons to raise awareness about what's happening in China. How did he endure an experience he says would shatter most people? NTD's British thought leaders host Lee Hall speaks to Marius to unravel the horrors he witnessed in a Chinese prison. Marius Bailo, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me. In 2014, you were imprisoned in China for eight years, so you only got out last year. I wondered if you could give us some background of how you got to that point. As soon as I I'd arrived in China in 2010, I, I met a fellow Romanian that was working for a financial institution. They were a loan company. They were giving out loans to different different businesses. We would uh, we would take part in these uh, um, contract contract signing ceremonies. All of a sudden, the the police uh, grabbed us and, and and took us to the into the economic police uh, basement uh, quarters. I was tied to a I was tied to a to an iron chair. Couldn't move. I was kept there for 24 hours, and that's. That's when I actually found out what, what the problem had been. In, in, in some cases, um, they would, although the contract had been signed, the loan contract had been signed, they would not, they would not um, transfer the money into the client's uh, account, which is you know, customary after about two weeks after you sign the contract. And um, they would come up with some reason not to do that. What these guys did was, do not give the money, but at the same time would also not return um, these commission fees that the clients had to pay uh, at, the, at the moment of the signing. Someone complained. Obviously, we didn't we didn't know about it. I was taken to the detention house and then to later to prison, where I spent a total of eight years. What was life like in, inside a Chinese prison? During those two years, you're just thrown into this cage mm. with several other people usually uh, 10 to 12 people in, in, one, in one single cage. And the, qu the cage is only 12 square meters, so about one square meter per person. So you, you couldn't communicate with anyone outside? 
No, no, not, not, not really. Um, you can't write to anyone. You can't call. You can't contact anyone. You're completely removed from the world. You're completely removed and, 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 and set down in a, in a different reality. This is their reality, the reality of the Communist Party and the way it, its justice system works. Every morning you wake up, 6.30, they shove a, a block of rice through the, through the bars. That's your breakfast. And then you have to sit down for, they call them shanke, which is basically means class. Um, it's uh, indoctrination periods, propaganda, propaganda hours, where you have to listen through a lot of uh, great, great realization, great, great things that the Communist Party has done for for China and for the world. It's just a really traumatizing experience um, because it, it it forces you to. To, to to see the ugliness of that of that of that place and it demoralizes you and you have to go through that every single day um, that's how you start your day that's your morning coffee the only thing that matters um, is confession evidence is not necessary um, and if they do come up with some evidence it's all fabricated um, it's just some statements from some guys that you've never seen and you will never see in your life and they say that you know, you did this and you did that, and that's automatically accepted. But the really, the really terrible thing is that, like I said just now, they use your family against you because um, when they grab their parents, their dad, or, or their mom, they, 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 they grab the kids as well, and then they tell their parents, um, if you want your kids to go home, you have to sign your confession. You never see the light of the sun. I never saw the light of the sun for, for, for two years, two years, three months, and seven days. I was locked up in that cage, only taken out when I went to court. That's it. Um, and during this, this period of time, nobody, Lee, no, nobody ever said that you were guilty or what you deserve. Why would you be punished like that in, in, in such extreme, with such extreme brutality without anyone having said whether you're guilty or not? So obviously, by the time you reach the judge, everyone is found to be guilty because you already suffered for, for, for two years and they're, they're not going to backtrack on that and say, oh, we made a mistake. No. The conviction rate is 99.9%. .9 everyone gets sentenced. So there, 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 there's no rule. Um, of course, there are books, there are law books written about things, but those are just for um, literature, you know, and then in, in the actual... <laughs> In the actual life, in the, the actual way that, that things work. What would you say to someone who's thinking of going to live or work in China, a, a European person? I would say China is a minefield. Um, you never know. You just simply don't know when you will step on a mine and it will take your foot or your life. This is what happened to me. Um, I found myself all of a sudden locked up in a, in, a, in a metal chair and interrogated and then sentenced to eight years. Here um, in Britain, in every dem democratic country, the, the party exists to serve the, to serve the people. So the party is, is below the people. Uh, I come, I hail from Romania and during communist times in Romania they were trying to make the party and the people as one on the same sort of level, the party and the people. But in China, it's the other way around. 
um, the people are at the bottom and they all exist for one single purpose, to serve the interests of the party. When you uh, got arrested, and you were questioning your faith. Did that change once you were imprisoned? Absolutely. Um, it was the one thing that helped me survive, Lee. I, I, I had been running away from God ever since my mom passed away. Um, and then I found myself almost 10 years, eight years later, I found myself in this, in this place where the, the ground had been swept from under me. And uh, sort of instinctively, I, I, I held on to that, to, that, to that rope of faith. Not because I was some brave guy who decided to return back to God like the prodigal son. <laughs> that, that wasn't my case. I held on to that because I had nothing else left. And I told God, I said, do with me, shake me off as much as you want. I'm not going to let go because I have, I have nothing else. Uh, if, if I let go of you, I'm going to go bang my head against that wall and try to kill myself because that's, what, that, that's the state they want to bring you to, into that state of desperation. Marius Paolo, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you. Thank you very much for the, for the invite, and I, I look forward to um, seeing you again. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.